you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to successfully delivering your retail transformation. This one is episode 106, number 106, and today we're celebrating the second birthday of this podcast, The Retail Transformation Show. Two whole years have now gone past since this podcast first launched, every single week delivering you insight, ideas, and inspiration to help guide you through the challenging path of retail transformation. So first up, I really want to say thank you. If you are a regular listener, thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I love hearing your thoughts and feedback on every episode, whether it's on LinkedIn and social media or through email, which of course you can always get hold of me, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And I'll always try and personally respond to you. So it'd be great to hear from you. Now, given the fact that we are marking the two-year anniversary, I thought we would look back at the past 12 months of episodes and pull out some of the really key highlights, some of the amazing golden nuggets, of course, that have been shared on the show by a wealth of really incredible guests that we've been lucky enough to hear from and learn from. So if all of these different episodes pique your interest and you fancy listening into the whole episode, but you can't quite remember all of the numbers that we'll be talking through, then the one single place that you must go today is the show notes for this page, and you'll find all of the referenced links and episodes there. So the show notes today, obandco.uk slash 106, obandco.uk slash 106. So the first highlight I wanted to bring to your attention was actually from quite recently, episode 101, where we invited James Bolly onto the show. Now, James is captain over at Purposeful. And if you can't guess from that name, he specializes in purpose. And of course, purpose is one of the key themes that keeps coming up over and over again that ultimately helps you to build a successful retail business as well as deliver a successful retail transformation. So purpose is really key and we dived deep in with James. So here is a little snippet from that conversation. The problem is one of the most watched TED Talks of all times is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Yes, I love that one myself. (laughs) You're going to rip it apart. (laughs) It's amazing, but over the following 10 years, it's lost a lot of nuance. And it's been interpreted as meaning our why is about saving the planet, or it's got to be about this massive higher order thing. Mm. Whereas actually, there's real beauty and real benefit in celebrating what your product or your service delivers to your local community or to your customers and what it enables them to go on and achieve. So I mean, that's one of the real kind of problems with the purpose movement is it doesn't have to be anything to do with the planet or kind of changing the world. It's about changing the lives of the people that interact with you. And that's where I think retailers in particular can really engage with their 
purpose and make it authentic because in a lot of cases they are a cornerstone of their local high street mm. or you know an element of their customers lives that they interact with every every week or every day in some in some cases mm. so you know I, I think you really need to keep a, an eye on that authenticity there is a second part which i think is to make it useful it needs to be actionable now that goes alongside i think if you are a fizzy drinks manufacturer or maybe a pizza restaurant and you are saying we are about bringing about world peace that's too higher order for people to take action mm. based on it in their day-to-day -day jobs what you need to do is find a purpose that people can use day-to-day -to, -day to guide their behavior because a purpose without action is just a daydream and what you're looking for is this thread from everybody's roles to the purpose. So I can see I'm a barista in my local coffee shop. I can engage with that higher order purpose that the brand has because I can see how serving my customers in my local community, keeping them safe, keeping them healthy is part of our overall purpose. And it, it's that kind of um, street level decision making that a, a truly useful purpose will enable along with of course the strategic decision making around does this product fit our portfolio should we introduce this technology if we're all about creating human interactions how authentic or how useful is it for us to implement um facial recognition software or uh no human interaction yeah a checkout list store or whatever yeah exactly it's about creating congruence between what you intend how you act and how you talk to customers. So I think it's all about authenticity and, and actionability in terms of making a purpose kind of really useful for an organization. Now, I am fond of that Simon Sinek video that James did reference right at the start there. So I was kind of semi-glad he didn't completely pull it to pieces. <laughs> if you don't know the one I'm talking about, I've dropped that video actually into today's show notes page as well, because I love it so much. So you can find that obandco.uk slash 106. The next highlight that I wanted to bring up for you was from episode 72, where Lee Woodard joined us on the show. And Lee was talking about being digital versus doing digital. And if you're not 100% sure what this really means, then this snippet is going to help out. And you absolutely should go and listen to episode 72 to understand in a lot more detail. Because although subtle, it's a critically important difference between being and doing. So here's Lee to explain a little more. And where that started from is that I think digital has really, in many ways, become a fog that just envelops many, many organisations. And, and they believe that they can get their way through that fog by doing more things. And so doing more digital, what's our Instagram strategy? What, what's our chatbot strategy? What's this? What's that? And, and, they, be, and they set up teams and they set up technology teams and, and, they, and they become just drowning in, in lots of doing mm. and not really spending enough time stepping back and thinking about, but, but what, what really are the traits of an organization that just is digital rather than is doing lots of digital? And I think you can see everywhere from great retailers to financial services right across the board, you can see many companies doing lots and lots of digital and really not taking the time to, to really think about what it means more deeply 
to be a digital company and what that means for its people and for its processes. Mm. And it kind of fascinates me. And so that's where that comment came from. So that was Lee Woodard, episode 72. Next up, we go to episode 68 and 69, which was a two-part session with the two gents from Uncrowd, Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard. And this was a really great episode, looking at friction, looking at reward, and ultimately looking at how you can win customers by understanding what they're thinking about and what they're caring about and how they're making decisions about where to shop. There's some really clever stuff in this one and absolutely worth a listen. And if you already have listened to it, it could well be worth a re-listen as well because there's some really important concepts that frankly I enjoyed listening back to again. And that's after reading Richard's book, Friction Reward, as well. First up, here's Rocky Howard on data. So what we found talking to um, various people over the last six months especially is that they've all been focusing their previous um, efforts over the last few years on gathering data. So big data was a big buzzword that's been flying around. They've now reached a point where they feel like they've got enough or too much in most cases mm. collected data sitting there. And they're now getting frustrated to find that the tools they've previously used and the methods they've previously used to look into this data and try and make sense of it have failed them. One of the challenges they, they, you know, that they, they have is that the frustration of having the data is causing them to, to not see and get any value out of all that effort they've made. Mm. So what you find, we're finding that they're doing is that they're, they're trying to get old legacy tools to understand and failing. They're trying to flip between loads of different unfocused tools to try and connect this data together. And in the end, it just turns into one big messy spreadsheet that they have no idea what it means. So that was Rocky Howard in episode 68. And here's Richard Hammond in 69, talking about the fundamental importance of focusing on need states rather than customers. Intrigued? Take a listen. And that's the critical thing of, in our thinking is we think that the focus on trying to say, can I understand Oliver Banks as an individual customer? And can I ensure that everything I do in my retail business is tuned to Oliver Banks' way of shopping and Oliver Banks' shopping missions, his critical visits? Mm. And if I can, what, what character is Oliver Banks? What's he like? His, his postcode is this. He's recently renovated his house. So maybe we can glean some information about that. Um, we know from his Tesco club card that he's, his baskets tend to have this stuff in it and whatever it might be. Sure. And then what happens traditionally is they say, right, Oliver is this type of customer. That's horseshit because you're a different type of customer all day long. The customer you are when you wake up in the morning will sometimes be different from the customer you are after you've just read a post about uh, the, the, the perils of palm oil. Mm. That's different from the customer who got a call from his partner who said, Oliver, we've got friends coming around tonight. We need to, to, to get something decent in for dessert tonight. You're, you're a different – the way you buy those things in those situations is changing all day long. So instead of trying to work out who Oliver Banks is, it's way more powerful and effective to say, what groups of need states exist around my business regardless of which individuals are in those need states at a given time? This is a really big deal. So those last couple of snippets were from the two-part episode, episode 68 and 69. So do go and check them out. I think you're going to love those ones. Next up, 
we're rewinding even further to episode 60, which was a solo episode that I did all about your store as the stage. And as physical stores continue to fight for footfall and relevance, I think this episode is actually going to be really quite important in the future. So take a listen. This is episode 60. Nowadays, people want, well, actually, they demand to be entertained by retailers. They want to be taught. They want to be inspired. And ultimately, they want to be brought into a story where they're the central character and you're going to help them on their adventure. Of course, they're not going to tell you that, but it works. So maybe, just maybe, the new way of thinking about this is that your store is now a stage. And if your store is a stage, there are several different elements that you must be thinking about. Because as a centre for entertainment, as a centre for story, as a centre for engagement, you have to think about things slightly differently rather than just bringing product in and putting it on sale. You've got to have adventure in there. What is that story that you are inviting your customers and your potential customers into? You must have the people, your cast essentially, that are going to bring this adventure and this story to life for your customers. You'll want to be using your stage across a whole series of different channels. You must be thinking about how do you entice your consumers away from the alternative entertainment forms. And of course, you must be thinking about a happy ending, which all good stories have, right? So if your store is a stage, let's dive into each of these and expand them just a little bit. So first, we started with the adventure, the story. This first bit is absolutely critical if you want to engage your audience, your shoppers, your customers, right? How are you going to take them on a journey, a journey of discovery, a journey of excitement? What is going to be the inciting incident that inspires them to come on that adventure as well, of course? And once they're committed to exploring the adventure, the journey, the story, It's going to be your job, your job as the retailer, to help them be at the centre. Because for it to be a good story, the audience member, the customer, does not want to be watching you in the story. They want to be taking an active part themselves. So it's not about your brand. It's not about your staff or your product. It's the customer who is the hero. It's centred around them and their life. And that is going to make them feel important. It's going to make them feel empowered and loved by you. So that was episode 60. I do hope you're enjoying this whistle-stop tour through some of the archives here. There are so many great episodes. And actually, there's going to be a second part of this coming in the next episode, episode 107. And I should probably also let you know about episode 54 and 55, which were the best bits from the first year of the podcast. So if you've not checked out all of those, then there's a ton more golden nuggets for you to go and mine. So those are in episode 54 and 55. So if you do want to find all of the different episode numbers that we're talking about today, then do go and check out the show notes today, obandco.uk. 
Next up, we're hearing from episode 57 and 58, where Steph Tranter, exec mindset coach and resilience expert, is explaining more about building up your emotional resilience. Here's a little sneak peek from that one. One of the other areas I hear so often is I want to go and get that job over there or I'm in my dream job and I'm loving what I'm doing, but I just don't know if I'm credible enough, experienced enough, qualified enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. You know, and I hear that so many times. So a lot of things I work on, which is linked to the self-identity, but I would label it as self-belief or self-esteem. And I think it does go back to that belief in what's unique about you, how you add value by being just you. You know, we're taught throughout our lives, even you go back to school, you know, when you get your grades, you know, you get your A's and your B's if you're lucky enough or, you know, in that kind of mindset of being able to perform academically. But the attention goes to your C's, D's or your fails. So you're taught constantly to focus on all the stuff you're not very good at to make them better. And that goes throughout your whole entire life. And no one gets to to go, actually, this is where your A's are. How do we make you even greater at that? How do we emphasize that even more? And I think that's why a lot of us don't have high self-belief or high self-esteem because we're always focused on what we don't have. So that was Steph Tranter there in episode 57 and 58. And actually, Steph also took to the virtual stage at Retail Transformation Live, and she shared 10 top tips. And the video for that, you can actually check out on the show notes page, which you're probably bored of me saying today, obandco.uk slash 106. But do go and check out that video. There are even more golden nuggets for you to discover over there. Next up, We're fast forwarding to episode 82, where my friend and retail strategist Carl Boutet joins us, and he was talking about the great retail acceleration. And here he is talking about the relative short-term opportunities and outlooks. Well, I think that, you know, the opportunity here, especially in this environment, is is really around engagement. And I'm thinking maybe more on the small to medium-sized retailers. I know the high street is uh, you know, there's a lot of debate around that right now. Who's going to be able to survive? What's the high street going to look like once we're, you know, we're 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 almost, you know, coming through this? And who's going to be left? And mm-hmm. is it going to be, uh, you know, sort of back to our two camps argument earlier? Is it going to be sort of a, a wasteland of just closed businesses because economically couldn't make it work, or is it is it going to thrive because people want to buy local and encourage and don't want to necessarily go out of too far out of the way to get the, the products so that a well-located high street is, is going to thrive more than ever. So you're going to have this sort of these two extremes. And realistically, what experience has taught us is it usually lands somewhere in the middle, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, of that 60% of our economy that sort of depends on that barely break-even retailer in the in the best of times, while there's going to be a, a you know a chunk of those that are going to thrive in this, that are going to use this as an opportunity to really connect with their you know, and if they already had a community, uh, then they they have a certain they certainly have an advantage where they've been building up rapport, uh, you know, be it through social media channels and, and holding events and just doing different things that showed that they cared about their customers, and could go to a degree of engagement that a big box would have troubles replicating to just, you know, how they, maybe they curate uh, the way that they, you know, they source. Just clearly a push. I just was reading a Kantar a barometer this morning around buying local. And ironically, the place right now that's they're showing the strongest tendency to run buy local is China, which, which is ironic on several levels. But I mean, it still just kind of shows that that's another global phenomenon. So that was Carl Boutet in episode 82. 
And the very next episode, we had Steve Dennis onto the show, episode 83 and 84 here. And Steve was talking about remarkable retail. And in this little clip in particular, he's talking about one of the big challenges facing retailers about how to bring themselves out of mediocrity, out of boringness and become remarkable. So what is one of those big barriers? Take a listen. I think that there's this whole exercise I advise most retailers to go through, which is being rigorously honest about where they where they really sit. Mm. Do they really understand their customers well? Do they really understand what those customers value and how that compares to other choices they have? And really how much change is required not to just keep pace, but to really get out in front of the competition. So I think there is a an analysis component, I guess, of really going to school on where you are, but it's also being honest about and accepting the reality of your situation. I think I, I go into a little riff in the book about about denial and and people defending the status quo. But part of the reason that happens is I think people don't do the work and they don't really push themselves to to go deep and, and accept what's really going on. Yeah. But then of course, you know, the big thing is is to take the action that's required. And in some cases that gets back to what we were just talking about, which is is really understanding risk. The risk of standing still is actually greater than the risk of doing some of the things that we're afraid to try. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to culture. And, you know, my biggest fear is that some of these retailers that that really need to transform don't have the leadership and the culture that they need. It's pretty easy uh, to, to, you know, to read and to write a book and go, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. And I believe it. And I hadn't thought about maybe a few of these things before. And I hope my book will do that. But ultimately, it comes down to to leaders being willing to to push the organizations ahead and take some of those risks. And um, one of the other quotes I have in the book is is from my friend Seth Godin, which is, if failure is not an option, then neither is success. I love it. And so many retailers, including two that I worked for, we were afraid to make mistakes when it came down to it. It wasn't necessarily that we didn't understand what was going on or that we didn't accept the need to change. But when push came to shove, we often did not take the risks we needed to take because we didn't want to look stupid or we didn't want investors to criticize us or we were afraid we wouldn't get our bonus. I mean, no, it's a, I, it's a whole set of things I'm sure we all can imagine that keep human beings from, from taking the risks and being vulnerable. And there's a ton more golden nuggets in each of these episodes. That was Steve sharing just a little bit from that two-part conversation I had with him in episode 83 and 84. Next up, episode 96, and I'm welcoming my friend Chris Walton onto the show. And we were talking about the future of the store of the future. But this clip in particular is looking at changing business models. Take a listen. The one thing I've espoused since the start of this pandemic has been the right approach is to kind of take that idea, that philosophy and say, you know what, let me look a year out or a year and a half out and say to myself, holy cow, if the business model never returns the way we used to know it, what would we do? And let's work back. Or another way to say that is, what if our stores are not open for another year and a year and a half? And let's work back. 
And if they happen to be, that's great. That's a bonus, but at least we're prepared for the future. Mm. And I think the smart retailers are doing that. Whereas you look at, I'll use the counter, you look at <laughs> industries that are struggling with that, malls, specialty-based apparel. Many times it feels like they're actually focused on how do we just get open and what are the procedures we need to get open? And yes, again, if you go back to that incremental definition, yes, you're being different. You're doing things that are different in the past, but you might not be fundamentally solving anything and you might not be fundamentally solving anything for the long term in terms of how you stay relevant. Mm. And I don't think any of us would say based on any of the innovations and the advances in curbside pickup, concierge shopping that we're seeing across those industries, we'd say any of them are better positioned now for the future. That was a brilliant episode, episode 96 with Chris Walton there. And if you didn't check out his podcast, the OmniTalk Fast Five, then you might enjoy listening to the latest episode, which came out, I think, on the 30th of October with yours truly talking about some of the big retail stories from this week. So do go and check out his podcast too, OmniTalk. And actually, that really reminded me of episode 71 as well, which was another solo episode, which was looking at the 10 biggest strategy mistakes to avoid. And in particular, a quote from Michael Porter, who says, the granddaddy of all mistakes is competing to be the best, going down the same path as everybody else and thinking that somehow you can achieve better results. It really brings it back to that sea of sameness that Steve Dennis absolutely recognises and as well as what Chris was saying as well in that episode. So do go and check out episode 71. And then the final clip that I've got for you today is from the two-part conversation that I had with Joe Jackman in episode 87 and 88, where we were talking about the reinventionist mindset, a brilliant two-part conversation this one so do go and listen to this one as well in this little clip joe is talking about momentum then the era today where i don't need to be big i don't need to have the biggest footprint or the biggest buying power or vertically integrated anything i can just stand up a proposition that's right for the times and i can take it to scale fast like whoever heard of you know, Uber or Netflix or, you know, Casper, the mattress company, or, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. 10 years ago, some, in some cases, five years ago, mm. never heard of them. Suddenly, you know, Harry's and Dollar Shave Club have taken 20% of the market share of Gillette and Schick mm. globally. Like, what? How, where did that come from? So, so the world's changing. Everything's compressing life cycles of business models, of brands, uh, of executive tenure. And as it compresses, what's the ergo? Well, the ergo is we need to be able to go faster, to adapt more quickly. What's a good, powerful force to have on your side when you need to move faster? Momentum. Mm. How do you generate momentum? You get people to align and see the same things and understand the strategies the same and embrace them to go uh, to that place quicker. And that's what happens. Mm. That's why... You know, the stories I write about in the book are, you know, mostly cases where that that alignment, that collaboration happened and everyone, you know, went as fast as their hair was on fire <laughs> to get to that place. And that was the difference. That was the winner, the winning factor uh, when many of the odds in those businesses were stacked against them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that attitude of 
let's go. Let's do this quickly. Let's really, you know, continue the urgency across everything that we do is absolutely so energetic for everyone else within the company. And that then bleeds through to your store teams, your operational teams. And of course, that then is absolutely what your customers end up seeing. Mm -hmm. So that was Joe Jackman there, episode 87 and 88. Whew, what a whistle-stop tour around the last year, or at least half of the last year. Remember, part two is coming next week. We've been bouncing around. There's loads of great episodes. But you know what? I would love to know what have been your best bits. Which episodes have you absolutely loved? Which moments have really caught your attention and inspired you and your retail transformation? I would love to know. So do let me know either on LinkedIn. You can message me or I'm going to be posting about this episode as usual. So drop a comment or drop me an email, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Now, I know you're going to be desperate to head over to the show notes page today at obandco.uk slash 106. And hey, whilst you're over there, here's something to do. Every single week, I issue the Retail Transformation Briefing. It comes out on a Tuesday and it includes the top retail transformation headlines from around the world. Lots of ideas, lots of inspiration, lots of intel. It also includes curated insight from really recognized and trusted bodies and companies, as well as some really interesting conversations that are happening over on social media that I think you should catch up on or maybe even take part in. So when you are on that show notes page, do sign up. It's absolutely free and it comes into your inbox every single week. That's the Retail Transformation Briefing. So do go over there and check it out. And let all your friends know as well. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely valuable information. So we're going to wrap up this first part of the best bits right now. Thank you for tuning in both today and for the past year and the past couple of years, actually. And I look forward to joining you in the very next episode. Bye for now. 